Welcome to the WP Builds Podcast, bringing you the latest news from the WordPress community. Now, welcome your hosts, David Wormsley and Nathan Wrigley. Hello and welcome to episode 54 of the WP Builds Podcast, entitled Why Choose WP Engine with Edmund Turbin. We'll also be having a discussion, David Wormsley and I, about how little we know about GDPR with just less than 200 days before it all becomes law in Europe. This episode was published on the 30th of November 2017. My name's Nathan Wrigley from pictureandword.co.uk, a web development agency based in the north of England, and we'll be joined later by David Wormsley. Please head over to the wpbuilds.com website and click on all the buttons, share it on iTunes, give us a five-star review and all of that good stuff. If you go to wpbuilds.com forward slash Facebook, you'll find our Facebook group, forward slash subscribe to get on the newsletter, and forward slash advertise if you would like to advertise on the podcast. Okay, we'll head right over and do the news items. I'm going to be really, really brief today. Over on WordPress, well, make.wordpress.org, there's um, information about the latest release of Gutenberg, which came out yesterday or two days ago, the 28th of November. It releases some new improvements, basically under the hood, supports more plugin opportunities, um, extending blocks, limiting available blocks, preventing given meta boxes from appearing and so on. There's a whole list and it keeps updating every single week and there's absolutely loads that's happened during the past week. Uh, it's all a bit technical and not very um, sort of front endish though, so maybe something to miss this particular week. Speaking of GDPR, which David and I will be doing later, a new WordPress plugin highlighted by the WP Tavern website uh, is called Delete Me. And the idea is that with the click of a button, it completely erases a WordPress user's account. So the idea being that a WordPress user could delete all of the information that you hold on them. Um, I'm not sure if this is ultimately going to be the, the the way that GDPR is going to be implemented, and you'll find out how little David and I know a little bit later, but certainly worth checking out if this is something, perhaps this will become explored um, a little bit later. Now, if you can hear pitter-patter, it's because I have huge amounts of hail falling on my roof at the moment. I, I'm sorry about that. Earlier, I went out sledging with my children, so what a nice day it's turning out to be. WordPress 4.9.1 is mentioned on the WP Tavern um, website again, and there's a few bits and pieces. Again, it's all a little bit maintenancey, but essentially there was a security vulnerability which has now been closed. So worth checking out. To be honest, I don't think you're going to suffer too much if you don't update immediately. But nevertheless, a vulnerability unpatched is a vulnerability. So maybe update to 4.9.1. Now, this is nothing to do with WordPress, but as soon as this podcast is over, I'm going to go and change my DNS settings on my Mac because I've come across something called Quad9. Now, Quad9 is an effort on behalf of quite a few major companies like IBM and so on 
And the idea is that you would redirect the DNS on your computer, or I'm guessing phone, or whatever, you know, whatever thing, perhaps even router, uh, to go to the IP address 9.9.9.9, hence Quad9, um, because they are going to take the responsibility for blocking my computer being able to go to websites which are known to be serving, you know, malware and um, all sorts of nasty security problems. So I'm going to give that a go, um, and if I've got any problems with it, I'll report back. But it seems to me like something which just makes absolute sense to do. Go check it out. It's quad9, that is Q-U-A-D, and the number 9.net. And, uh, and if you think it's a good idea, implement it. Last one is, if you need your images compressing, you can use things like WPMU Dev Smush, but on AppSumo at the moment is a is a SaaS product called Short Pixel, which will smush, if you like, compress 5,000 images per month for you uh, for a one-time fee of $25. You get it for life. So maybe that's something you would want to check in on. You can use it on as many websites as you like, and it works um, seamlessly, apparently, with uh, WordPress. So maybe worth checking out. Right, okay, so... After David and I talk about GDPR, we've got Edmund Turbin, who I actually watched talk at uh, WordCamp in Manchester. His talk was, you know, he's above my pay grade, should we put it that way? He's an incredibly um, intelligent man who knows the ins and outs of WordPress and hosting. And we talk uh, uh, on a fairly uh, low level, so none of it's complicated, about why WP Engine might be a good fit for you, what it does that makes it unique, if you like, or what are their unique selling points, I suppose, is a better way of wording it. Um, and it, it's thoroughly worth listening to. So we'll get right on with the discussion and then we'll go to Edmund. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Today's topic is on GDPR, which is General Data Protection Regulation, and who's responsible for it. So if you don't know about it, it's a new EU law that's coming in and it's probably going to affect any website that has EU visitors. It's going to happen on the 25th of May. And... Yeah, it's, we were talking to a friend of ours who was selling a service, if you like, which we could sell on to clients um, where they take care of some of the, the regulation and what you need to do about managing your data. We just thought, well, this is quite a good topic. Who's responsible for keeping within the, the new law? Um, um, sorry to, mm. to interrupt. I think I, I should just make sure, certainly for me at least anyway, that I, I, am, mm. not, I am not a lawyer in this one. So the, the nuts and the bolts of it are very complicated, no doubt. And I think when I downloaded the document and didn't read it, it was huge. You know, there was lots and lots and lots of clauses and subclauses and legal language. So just just to be clear, right from the outset, for both David and I's protection, um, we don't really know whether what we're going to say is true. We're just coming at it from a sort of 10,000 mile high perspective, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we get the point of it. And it, it's yes. got a long history, don't we? Simple, simple terms is that, um, and I get behind this, is that I think most people would agree that ideally when we we should be transparent about the data that we collect on our visitors and we should not take more than we need we should not be reusing it without their permission we should keep it safe and we should update it so we don't hold longer more than what's necessary i think they're basic principles what we don't know <laughs> is what we really have to do to make sure that we're abreast of that and and 
you know, it, it seems to me a very complex thing and something which in some ways we must have some responsibility for. So take example, I mean, many of us will use, um, we will install on a website some form to collect data and they are all different, aren't they? Gravity Forms actually puts that in the database. Yep. So when we decide that we're going to use Gravity Forms, we are making a kind of decision, aren't we, which could affect our clients yeah, under this law. I guess that people like Gravity Forms and, you know, those forms, plugins, and essentially anything that has a form field attached to it will need to address this to see in what way it's being sent from the web page via the server to wherever it needs to go you know so an example of a of a gravity form is you know you fill out the form um very often it will send you a confirmation email so now you've got their data in in an email in your email client which is potentially sitting on your computer um but also you've got a copy in the database because that's just how it works it stores it there for convenience so that if you i don't know didn't receive the email or lost the email you've mm. got you've got all of the records for future reference now um, the, the, the principle behind this is trying to work out, really, everybody needs to think about what they actually need to gather and do you need to retain it in any way? And I would imagine that real, really the answer in most cases is no. You really don't need to gather very much data at all. But um, one of the most fascinating talks at both the, the word camps that I've been to recently, the London one, in 2017 and the Manchester one, this same lady um, stood up, very powerful lady, a brilliant speaker, and she talked about this at great length. Now, the 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 detail of it has been lost to the to time and my brain's <laughs> capacity to remember things. But basically, it, it went something like this: you know, we are the people in charge of this stuff. We have a responsibility to ensure that we're doing this properly. We need to audit what we're doing and we need to make sure that we've done that audit and and made a record of the audit. Then we need to invest in creating a policy for when things go wrong so that we have a procedure to follow um, should things go wrong, which inevitably for somebody at some point they will. You'll be breached, the data will be taken and you've got to know who to contact and in what time frame. And if memory serves... You've got, I think, three days to notify the correct people, and they will want to. They will want to see the policy that you've put in place. Is my understanding now? Further to that, um, I remember when we talked about this last time. Somebody in the Facebook group, whose name I've now forgotten, did mention that I was probably getting a bit carried away with how important this was. And and if again, if memory serves, I think the implication was this really only matters for businesses um, with over 250 employees. Now, that could well be out-of-date information now, and maybe that's changed, maybe the number's gone up, maybe it's gone down. Um, but there is quite a lot of depth and breadth to this. But you do, I think we will all be called upon at some point to account for the decisions that we've made. And, and I know that in my case, I am going to have to look at this because of some of the products and services that I run. So it will, it will be affecting me. Mm. I mean, do you think we can just bypass it altogether? You can say it's not our responsibility because, you know, the data, the fact that we we set up systems that does collect this data, does that make us responsible for how it's kept? Is it not up to all businesses to go and check this stuff out for themselves? And we're I, exempt. I wonder if that will become a, a man, a, a, you know, a necessary part of any contract that we 
we put up. Uh, also, I wonder if um, hosting companies have a responsibility for this because um, obviously WordPress is open source. Everybody can learn how to hack it if they so choose to. And the the hosting company will be keeping this data for you on your behalf. But then I guess the question would be, should you have had it in the first place? And that, that I think, is the real thing. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the, mm. what the answer is going to be. But I would imagine given enough prying, you wouldn't be able to just walk away from this and say, no, it's got nothing to do with me. I built the website. I maintain the website. It's on my it's on the hosting that I arranged for the customer. Uh, I don't know mm. is the answer. C- can you literally pass all that over in a in a proposal or a contract and say, look, nothing to do with me, governor? <laughs> I don't know. And this is another side of this because, I mean, this came out of someone, you know, a friend of ours offering a service that a friend of his did that would take, you know, some of this responsibility off your shoulder. But my concern is because we've had a history, we know about the EU cookie law mm. where we've seen that changed over time. It was a big thing when it was just about to be announced. There were big fines. If you didn't comply, you had to get people's permission to data before they could view your website, else you were breaking the law. And everything changed at the 11th hour. And as time has gone over, there's almost been a complete trend in the other way where it's saying, no, these are too intrusive. These pop-ups which are asking for permission or telling you about it we need to remove it and educate the people who are visiting the sites about how their data could be used so i think you know my fear getting to the point is that if you do start to talk to clients about what we should do and what steps we should take now it's going to cost them that time and you know it could backfire on you as as you find out you probably wasted a lot of time on stuff which gets changed i actually did receive an email from a client this week asking me this exact question. Um, it's for a website where I haven't finished yet and they want to know what, what they need to do. And, and I kind of said politely, I, I do not know. Um, to me, does this feel like something that you should hand back to the client? You know, not to say that you don't take any thought for it, but mm. is this the kind of thing that clients should seek professional legal help with? Or is this a technology problem? Yeah, I know. And then there's also, I mean, what do you do? You say you should really read this document, which has been designed not to be read. Yes. And uh, and that's really <laughs> how governments work with these things. And I, as a former civil servant, I kind of realized this happens because there's often very good principles behind something that's come in. But often, you know, with the case of in the UK, it's the ICO um, that, that, that run this. But they're pretty much underfunded and they often don't have the expertise into actually how we can deal with the day-to-day so it's it's a really tricky one for us to how how to get how much to get involved in this and how much to pass on to the client and say look you just need to know and at each point I know about it I'll let you know but ultimately it's up to you to decide how seriously you want to take this law. I wonder if this law has been passed with an abundance of optimism um, Mm. because of I think it's fair to say the the European outlook, broadly speaking, the European outlook t- um, towards data and data retention is is different from the North American outlook, which seems to be a little bit more. Um, uh, they're not they're not as concerned, and they don't quite they don't have many statutes on the books for this kind of thing. Is my understanding? Um, I wonder if what we've seen over the last few years with massive data breaches from well this week for example uber it's been disclosed lost 57 million records and 
you know, didn't admit it. And various companies over the past year have had very similar problems. I think I think there was Walmart and, you know, I can't remember the names of the companies, but lots of companies whose data was taken. And we don't know what's happened to that data, but it's, it's going to cause problems down the line with people assuming your uh, identity and stealing your bank details and so on. So I wonder if this legislation has been put in place as a very large and scary hammer for big, big businesses who have got the money to invest to to make them take it very seriously. Because if my website loses six, 60 people's contact details because of a contact form um, mm. coding error, that's mm. not quite the same. I doubt if they'll come after me with the same quantity of lawyers as they would go after, say, Uber or Google, who were to lose 100 million uh, bits of data. So yes. it kind of feels like maybe that's what that's where they're aiming at. And, and the, the, the discussion that we had in the Facebook group about this nominal figure of 250 people, that it feels like that. It feels like this is maybe not quite so serious for you and I, but we should know about it. Yeah, it feels like that. But the one thing I guess I learned from the cookie law as well, which is, I guess, how seriously I took it depended on how seriously I thought government sites took it. And mm. that didn't seem to be very much. And also people like you do think it's aimed at these big folks like um, Google and Facebook and people who who retain and pass on a lot of data. But it does seem to me that they always seem to be the folks who ignore it. Yeah. Um, so yeah. so um, you do wonder, you think, well, if they're not doing it why should i which is probably not the way i should embrace this kind of topic but do you is. do you put the the cookie banner or whatever chosen method do you do you input do you install that into the sites that you build um no i don't it's fun well my colleague who does them she likes to put them on them and i like to tell her why bother because mm. we know they're only going after the the, the top 200 now yep. things have changed and yep. we know from last year that they would rather see them removed now so i actually think it's probably going against the will now of, of most people to have them there i think they're annoying and people don't want them but also you know there is nobody <laughs> there is nobody employed to check on these things you know it's always part of somebody other civil servants job to do this so and i wonder you know what kind of resources will be put into something like this you know so um, maybe it's a great. Sorry, go on. Mm. Sorry. No, I was just saying it's a great principle, but I just don't know if there's the money to actually sort of regulate it. And and I think you know governments are particularly keen not to go to court because you know it's uh, unlimited liabilities if they get it wrong. So you know I think most of the time it might be a little bit toothless the actual law, but I think the principle's great. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if given enough time, five years from now, if we were to revisit this topic, if it will if it will even exist, perhaps not. But the um the the I guess the internet is still quite new. Um mm. and it's really only relatively recently, in the last five years or so, that that we have that we've become accustomed, like really accustomed, especially children who are holding their phones to to have very little regard for their their data their identity you know and they're they're willing to give it away um in order to receive a you know a a coin in a game um Mm. and i wonder if it's just putting something in place for the future to protect us should should things go wrong because sure enough it's true more and more clever ingenious ways are being figured out to um, take our data from us and you know clever ways of uh, allowing us to provide more and more 
Um, and there must be money in it. There must be ways of monetizing this and aggregating this data and posting ads to us so that we sell th- so that we're sold things that we really actually want to buy and so on. And I guess if you're going to take it from us and it's important, it needs to be protected, like like banking. Mm. And it's not just your name and your address. It, it 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 was peculiar things as well. Under this remit, come things like your IP address. Even your IP address is considered to be data uh, pertaining to you. Mm. Yeah. Do you know, I remember also, you know, when the um, Freedom of Information Act came out, I don't know if that's just UK based, but um, I was in the civil service when that came out. And really, it, I, I guess it's a law that no one really implemented, but it did do a good thing because it made everybody who worked in that be quite, they knew that we could be called upon to provide the information that we held on anybody at any point. So it just made us just be a bit more tidy with our emails you know we would clear them up <laughs> clear up the server a lot more and just not keep stuff we didn't need around and i think this probably will work if if it just kind of sends that general message you know the know that we could be called upon to to account for our actions and i think you know that's a great thing and i think we should probably train clients to think more about that but i I don't know how far we go. I certainly don't think I would be advising a service that helps them because, I, you know, there's plenty of EU cookie laws uh, products that came out that yep. were to help you. And really, they now seem like a bit of a ripoff, you know. Yep. They, were, they were feeding on the fear. Well, uh, I'm sure there'll had. be a lot of businesses that step up to claim um, yep. all sorts for this, you know. I'm sure – well, I heard stories recently about people who'd kind of decided that they were accredited and made themselves accredited <laughs> – uh, for being GDPE sort of GDPR um, licensed um, instructors, and no such thing exists apparently. You, 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 there is nobody who is qualified to tell you about this stuff yet. So don't go paying a, an individual or business to tell you authoritatively about this because apparently they simply don't exist. But um, yeah, really fascinating subject, and I just sort of think really if we just think about it more and tip the balance slightly to well let rather than retain everything and get everything we possibly can let's tip it the other way let's get as little as we possibly can um and then presumably let's take gravity forms as an example again it it would be trivially easy for them to implement a tick box which expunged your all of that stuff on a yeah. on a daily, weekly, monthly, whatever felt appropriate basis, and then the you know the database is is cleaned. But then of course you've got backup body, you've got um, Updraft Plus. That's still mm-hmm. there. It's in there somewhere. That can be stolen. Um, at what point do you um, do you say, okay, we don't have it anymore? It's difficult, isn't it? I'm sure that somebody with a litigious mind would be able to come after you forever. Yes, yes. And you know, you're very good at um, uh, keeping stuff on you. You're much better than me at doing backups and that. Yeah, you keep them forever. Keep I do. them forever. So, so you would probably have to start implementing a, a turnover when stuff have to, you know, your backup buddy copies or whatever would have to start disappearing. Yes, after. yes. I think you're absolutely right. Certainly, if yeah. this stuff has got teeth and you hear about people um, getting in trouble for it. Mm then, yeah, it's probably time to start thinking about deleting those backups because, like you say, I keep them forever, and it's all there. And, of course, it's on your local machine as well. It's not just your, um, you know, the server. It's The backup sits on my Mac, and so the Mac is now part of the problem. Oh, goodness me, this could be a nightmare, couldn't it? Yeah. Nathan, you're reckless. 
<laughs> yeah, I have been until now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna think about this seriously. But I think the the general advice is be sensible. Don't go crazy with it all, and and just see how the how the what the lay of the land is in because it's six months. Um, and m- my guess is that in six months' time, a lot of these these problematic things will will have been thought through by somebody somewhere, um, and there may be some more or less turnkey solutions that we can think yeah. about. You know, maybe even hosting companies will um, will advertise that as a feature. You know, we'll we'll make sure to expunge certain key tables in the database on your behalf and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. I th- I think things there's lots to play out. Just going by the cookie law and the eleventh hour change of mind. Yeah, I, I did read something recently about the fact that you know a lot of what they would like to implement for this end deadline they haven't sorted out yet, so they right. they're, they're fearful about getting it all together for okay. this date. So, so twenty twenty, so, yeah. we'll still be talking about it as a possible thing in the in the horizon. <laughs> <laughs> Right. I think they'll go, probably go with the date, but I just think, yeah, it, there'll still be a lot of questions. That's the are with cookie law. And I think I think if you try and do good and just go with the spirit of it, and I think the spirit is clear, isn't it? It's just about being mindful about what we keep and whether we need to. Well, you know what? When we've, when we've put this post live, we're going to get some clever people who know far more about this than we do. Just, I know. Just raining know. fire upon us saying, you ignorant <laughs> pair, you've got it all wrong. <laughs> So We're completely irresponsible on yeah. this, I know. Oh dear. Yeah. Right, and on that note, I think we should probably uh, should we tie that one up and move on to the uh, today's uh, interview. I think so. All right. Yeah. Okay. Here it comes. Hi there. So today we've got Edmund Turbin from the very very famous WP Engine. Hi there, Edmund. Hey, how's everybody doing today? We're all good, I think. We, um, good. Edmund and I actually did very briefly meet this weekend because we were both at Word, uh, WordCamp in Manchester. I, as a um, guy just sort of sloping around, stealing swag, and Edmund, though, as a speaker. And, uh, and Edmund was really, really good. He had a super cool set of slides, all, all in like really cool colours on a dark background. Um, but I confess, Edmund, you're uh, you're you're cleverer than I am, and your uh, your talk went right over my head. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely not possible. But uh, yeah, it's it's something I was working on for quite a bit of time. So there's some depth there. But yeah, uh, yeah. and then the uh, the slides were actually meant to look like a retro gaming type of like look and feel. So everything very sort of like Minecraft fonts and yeah. pixely, and and I had some uh, sound effects in there. So tried try to make it interesting. Yeah, it was really really good. You had you had you had the audience in, eating out of the palm of your hand, but okay. So we're going to talk a little bit about um, you and a bit about WP Engine. So f- first of all, you very very briefly. Um, yeah. You, how, how come that you're working at WP Engine? What's your what's your backstory? Yeah. So uh, really sort of interesting. Uh, WP Engine was uh, something that I I sort of was. Uh, I was interested in in taking on the type of role uh, that that uh, I do now, sales engineering, uh, which is uh, you know it, it's more along the lines of pre-sales. My background is not in sales at all, so I come from uh, about 15 years of development as you know d- doing sort of anything that you know front end and back end, but then sort of in the the past, let's say um, five years or so, I've, I've focused more on building out the front end. I've worked with a lot of different content management systems, and uh, and I, I found uh, I, I, there was a lot of work in Drupal when I was back in New York. Yep. When I came to London, 
I uh, I didn't really have a plan for what I was going to do, and and I just you know there was really everything happened very quickly. We uh, we just um, essentially hopped on a plane, got here, and and I I had to figure out what I was going to do. So I did some freelancing, uh, and and that was uh, it was really good. It happened extremely quickly, and in fact, probably too fast for <laughs> us to actually handle it. And you know, at that point, I was trying to to figure out you know where do we live, and you know what how, how do we sort of structure our lives, and and uh, I was. I was able to to get some uh, some good contract work at that point, so you know couldn't turn it down, um, and I did that for uh, for for maybe uh, uh, six months, and I did some other uh, Drupal work as well, um, and then I I was uh, you know I was, I was happy as a developer, but I was also in the back of my mind looking for something a little bit uh, more on the business side of things, and I really enjoy doing development and being able to create something right from scratch and you sort of take an idea and you take something that looks like it works and you actually make it function and make it useful. Um, but I also like the idea of knowing how your, your work is impacting the business and, and what, uh, you know, what it is that you actually do that contributes to the, the growth and the revenue of the business. Uh, and that's something that I, I didn't really see as a developer. Mm. Um, so you've been in the UK for how long? It's almost four years now. Oh, from New York. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So we're in New York and New Jersey for many years. Uh, so <laughs> I, I grew up in Long Island. I was born in Brooklyn and sort of, you know, just was all over the, the uh, you know, New York, New Jersey area for yep. most of my life. London's a great place, isn't it? I can well imagine why people would be attracted to go and live in London. I lived there for quite a, a long time, but now I live in the north of England where it's cold. I <laughs> 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 you all of England's cold. But anyway, moving on. So you work for WP Engine. Um, yeah. we, we've all seen it. It's a hosting company. They've got, um, they've, they've got a product which is absolutely specifically tied with, tied up with WordPress and WordPress developers. Um, but w w where is it? Is it, is it, uh, is there an office somewhere where you can say that's WP engine? So there must be people and I'm guessing they're spread throughout the globe. Um, mm -hmm. how many offices have you got and, and where's all your, where's all your stuff? Where's your infrastructure? Where do you, where do your machines live? Cool. Yeah. So, um, uh, as far as the headquarters is based in Austin, Texas. Okay. We've got an office in San Antonio, and uh, we have sort of several other locations where there's uh, you know maybe a, a smaller office. So San Francisco, and then London, where I work. Um, we opened an office in Limerick, Ireland, which is where our our EMEA support is based out of. And just uh, in the past month, we've opened an office in Australia, in Brisbane. Ah, yes. So company's growing quite, quite tremendously. I think as I joined WP Engine, it was somewhere around 225 employees to 250. And now we're, we're just touching the 500 mark. Wow, wow, 500. Blimey. That's, that's over about three years. Yeah, that's impressive. So so where are the where, – where's the – the computers where my website would be hosted, do they belong to you or do you rent them off, I don't know, like AWS or are they all yours and where, where do they live? Yep, exactly. So you hit the nail on the head. So we use AWS for our enterprise solutions and we use uh, Google Cloud for our premiums. So premium dedicated environments and then shared servers are also in Google. And uh, that that's sort of uh, a, you know, that's the, the modern day WP Engine. Uh, we had a mass migration, which brought our our sites from other providers, other infrastructure providers over to, to Google and uh, AWS. 
Um, so in the past, it wasn't always that you know these top tier providers. But now I'm real happy that we're we're on these sort of next gen platforms that are are you know really robust and and you know provide tons of of features around redundancy and and resiliency. Yeah. Do you? Um, so that's the that's the current state of affairs. I'm guessing that ultimately there would be more profitability if you owned the infrastructure yourself. But that obviously comes with a massive drawback of having to maintain it yourself and buy it and all of that. Is that something that WP Engine sort of wrestled with when they thought about Google and AWS? So, so far as I know, there was never mm. a plan to to have a data center and to own our own hardware. It was always a, a cloud uh, services. Yep. And in, in many ways, we're, we're thinking of it as a platform yep. and Having an infrastructure provider that, like like Google and AWS, allows us to to focus on how do we make WordPress better without having to engineer the the server side, right? So we don't have to focus on anything, but really, how do we make WordPress work better for our customers, and how do we evolve the platform? Now that you've got this um, traction, and there are x number x number of thousand customers, do you have? Do you have the the chops now to sort of approach Google and say, look, can you can you make it do this, or or Amazon, can can you now make it do this, or and actually, can we come into your data center and check things out and see how it's all done? Do you, do you have that kind of relationship, or is it very much just like me loading up the AWS console? Could I, in theory, build the same stuff that you've got? So yeah, potentially it, it could be built by anyone. I think that there's a lot more. Be- Besides the, you know, yeah. what happens in AWS, <laughs> yeah. the the user portal is is uh, it's actually an entire different system. So when you know the the when you you're hosting uh, your sites, uh, they live in one place, but the user portal is is entirely you know separate uh, mm. set of code and 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 different functionality from WordPress and and Google or AWS. Um, but yeah, the, so so it's it's uh, you know I think that anybody could really build a, a solution themselves. But really, the point of WP Engine is that that's what we do, mm. so that you can take your site and focus on building out functionality and you know adding content and and, and really focusing on the part of your business that makes sense and and that you can really control and that the marketing side of things. Yeah. Do you have an actual? You mentioned the San Antonio and and um, San Francisco and London and what have you. Do you have an office um, where somebody like me can actually walk through the door and talk to people, or is it is your office just the place where your employees go and and do their daily tasks? Yeah, come to London. Come come see us anytime. Cool. And uh, oh, that's great. And and is it is it like a you know like a regular shop where the shop front's lovely, neat and tidy. Um everything's exactly where it should be and then you go upstairs to the staff area, it's a complete mess and there's stuff everywhere. <laughs> I'm just imagining, you know, uh it strikes me that the, the kind of people uh who are into web development aren't always necessarily um the best at putting things away, shall we say? <laughs> So I think it, you you might be surprised. So our <laughs> our office here is uh, a it's it's essentially sales and marketing. Okay. So so might maybe a little bit uh, different than you know the idea of the traditional programmer you know wearing t-shirts and putting his feet exactly. up on the desk with long hair and and that that kind of thing. Um, so so it's a little bit more so i'd say we we started off in london you know and it's really this office is is you know just over three years old honestly um we started off in a um a a co-working space called second home yep which was 
really cool. It's a, a you know big open space and and just has some you know sort of a great look and feel about it. Working alongside of uh, other startups and other businesses, so a lot of energy and, and good growth. And you could really see that you know people were were starting something and and just really making it happen mm. at Second Home. So that, mm. that was really fun for a while. Uh, we got to a point where we didn't fit in the space that uh, <laughs> we were using. And so it's one thing to have, uh, you know, the, the number of employees that work in our office, um, but we will frequently have people come in from other locations, you know, primarily the U.S. So there's, there's oftentimes when we'll have, you know, a, a double the amount of people that we normally have right. and we'll need desk space for them. So and, and there's always somebody over. There's, there's usually not a week that goes by that we don't have somebody coming in from the U.S. So it's really exciting and dynamic. And because of that, we had to find a, a new place. Um, and so, so we're, we're actually not far from the, the old location, second home, but we're in a place called Iron Gate House. Mm. So. Well, there you go. If you're in London or San Francisco or Brisbane, go in, have a coffee. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, great. Um, so I guess the cloud, you know, your hosting solution is, is in this amorphous thing called the cloud, um, which I guess is all about scaling. And you've got this sort of scaling technology called Evercash. Um, what's, what is that? Why would I even want that? What's that about? It's a number of different things. So it is, uh, it, it's really a system of caching. It's based around page caching using varnish. Uh, it's based around, uh, a, uh, a, uh, um, a, 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 another part of it is the object cache. So it's essentially using memcache. Uh, and that's storing the you know any query that that is used often, um, and uses uh, a a couple of other layers um, as well as a, a CDN. Yep. And it's essentially built to optimize your your performance. And uh, you know if your site is uh, is cacheable, then it really uh, will be able to take advantage of the caching layer. And what I mean by cacheable is that you know there's not a lot of custom dynamic parts of your pages and site, so it works quite well. For some things, and then for for other things like when you are using uh, a site, let's say that it's got a shopping cart functionality, it's not really something that you can cache. So yeah. some parts of a site like that would be cacheable, and some wouldn't. So um, it strikes me that when when anybody wants uh, to to move from one host to another host or try out a new host, there's kind of two things that they've got at the front of their mind, and the first one is speed. Everybody wants the site to be fast and You've kind of just addressed that with with caching. Is there anything else though that goes on um, in the background apart from caching to to make your platform um, faster than than all the others, if you like? Yeah, definitely. And and at the enterprise level, there's a, a completely different architecture that's built around scalability and speed. So and really, as you move through the the different tiers of the solution, uh, it uh, you know it's it's larger. It essentially, gets bigger. And more scalable as you go up, and it's uh, you know the, the same for dedicated environments. They're they're tuned, and and as far as the virtual machines that we use, they they're uh, they're performance optimized to work with uh, WordPress, and and really since that's the only thing that we do, we can focus on making WordPress work better. 
Yeah, I mean the the sort of technical details of how to make uh, WordPress websites faster, I think, would make my nose bleed. Um, but needless to say, you know, you've got a, a very very good reputation in this area of making sites go faster that will once slow. So we we can safely assume that you've done all of your homework. But is there more to be done? Uh, is there technology around the corner which is going to make things even better in terms of speed, or are we now just at the point where we're, we're tweaking and we're expecting, I don't know, CPUs and computers themselves to get faster? Or is there code to be written that can improve the performance in the near future? Yeah, so one of the things that we realized is that uh, a lot of uh, our customers will move their sites onto the platform, but they won't be optimized to take advantage of the platform. Okay. So what what we've been building is uh, tools that will allow you to, to get better performance out of your site. So and and primarily the the uh, the the most recent part of that is called application performance, which is a, uh, a the addition of New Relic on the WP Engine platform. New Relic allows you to do PHP application performance monitoring, so it allows you to really see what WordPress is doing at the the plugin and theme layer, and allows you to to go into queries and actually see why things are taking long, why a query is being executed, let's say, 100 times. And, and if there's a way to uh, reduce that, it, it allows you to get great analytics around what you could potentially optimize to make the site uh, uh, perform better and just be a, a more improved user experience. Is that the kind of thing that somebody like me would, you, would you provide that infrastructure and then on, off, offhand that um, analysis of that data to me, or is that something that you you guys take care of and just sort of automatically do it all in the background? So actually, uh, we we use New Relic on all of our dedicated environments. So all of the premium solutions are have New Relic, uh, which support can use for troubleshooting. Uh, but the idea of the application performance was to to give the users the power to actually go in and make those improvements. And mm -hmm. I think it's it's great because we we don't necessarily go into anyone's code base and make changes around, let's say, you know, optimize this function or uh, or or change the the code in any way. But New Relic allows us to look at things and say, we spotted this. This is what's going on from the support perspective you got some slow queries and the customer can say yes i see that mm. and then then it gives them that that the power to essentially empower themselves and and go and and make wordpress work better there's a you know the common perception of taking any site and putting it on a really powerful system mm. and having it work great is it's probably it it's not true i don't see that you know if, if you have uh, code that is working really slowly you might get some performance gain by adding additional hardware yeah but usually it comes down to code optimization mm. and you'll you'll get some benefit and sometimes it's a trade-off and and sometimes it's often easier to move to a larger server than to pay a developer to actually go in and optimize code um, so so it's it's really a trade-off it, it depends on you know where the priorities are um, so I see I see both types of situations yep. come up, uh, but I think that the best benefit is for for people to optimize and go to a larger system, which will allow them to handle more traffic and just have a a faster page load. Yeah, that's really really interesting because you go to a sort of traditional um, hosting company and they do bandy about you know the the number of cores and the the quality of the the chip that's in there and this that and the other thing and yeah that that's interesting the the, the code definitively comes first 
everything else is of, well, not secondary, but slightly secondary importance. So, okay, we understand that you, you do speed. That's the thing that everybody really, really, really wants. And then secondary, I would say, is support. Um, everybody wants there to be uh, a representative there to speak to them, to communicate, to chat with them the minute something goes wrong. Do you, how does the support work in WP Engine? What sort of time can I expect an email to be answered in? Or can I expect somebody to get on the chat there and then? I think I know the answer to this, but I'm asking it anyway. <laughs> yeah, so a little over a year ago, we rolled out, and actually maybe longer than that, um, we rolled out 24-7 chat support. Yep. And we, we took the emphasis off of tickets and focused on chat yep. because there's a lot of issues that we can solve then and there with the live person in in support in a support chat rather than looking at a ticket and assigning that and then delegating who does the fix so we realized that the you know those those quick issues can really be handled uh, majority of them through uh, a support chat and then for anything that's a larger issue we can escalate that into uh, support and that could be more of an ongoing yeah. uh, issue and and uh, you know at the, the premium and enterprise level you can create tickets and actually work longer term on an, an issue um, so that's been a great improvement and you know one of the things that that has also been uh, a really positive move for us was to add the addition of the limerick team so in and prior to that prior to having people in ireland uh doing support we were uh we were doing that out of austin and san antonio so the advantage is having people in your time zone that are are able to troubleshoot i, I think that's that's given uh you know a, a great vibrancy and and good energy yeah. around support and and really you know we have people here and you know in in your side of the world to to actually work and and help you out um, were you able to find enough people? Um, so let's say take Limerick as an example. Did you did you just sort of post adverts around Ireland for that job and enough WordPress people with the specialist knowledge that you require applied and got the jobs? Or do, or do you take people on and then train them up in the WP Engine manner? Yeah, so all of the support reps get uh, <laughs> training. They go through a training program, mm -hmm. um, and uh, you know it, it's continuous learning. So there's there's always something that they can improve upon. Uh, but uh, we we work with people that are you know from technical background, mm -hmm. but not necessarily developers or support. And that office is probably the fastest growing out of all of our offices. I think they have the most growth and certainly the most ambitious growth plan for the next couple of years. So we can expect um, to be able to type into the chat box. I, I notice, you know, when you when you log in, there it is, you click the button. And, and in my experience, you get you get a, a reply, well, as fast as humanly possible, really. So You've got a bunch of people lined up, sitting, waiting. I've always wondered this. If if it's a busy period, how many chats will one person be looking at at the same time? It depends on the person. So if it is a, 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 uh, an incoming chat, you could potentially have two or three other chats okay. that, that are active. But I think when it's, uh, you know, in, in normal, you know, normal times of day, it would be crazy to have multiple chats going on yeah. for support. Yeah, I don't think there would be any real way to focus on anything and give it your attention. So that doesn't necessarily scale very well. No, I could not do that job. If they, basically, if there was more than one, 
I would fail at both. <laughs> you know, I simply couldn't do it. But that, yeah, yeah. it's been my ex- my experience has been that um, you know it's it's answered very quickly. They understand, and obviously, the more you more detail you supply, the the quicker you'll get to the solution. But I've been very very impressed, and that's a cool system, that chat system. I like it; it works for me really well. Mm-hmm. Um, so security, uh, that's a big thing. Everybody's talking about security more and more these days. Um, website security, IoT security, security on the internet, everything. What do yeah. you, and obviously it's kind of, there's a wide assumption by people who don't really know much about WordPress that WordPress is um, insecure, um, more insecure than, than other platforms. So how do you... First of all, is that true? Is there, is there any truth in that? Um, and also, what does WP Engine do to ensure that your WordPress site is locked down as, as, as well as possible? So I think anything left unpatched will be insecure. And one of the things that we do, which is the you know the first priority for um, for improving security, is to to keep WordPress core updated to the most recent version. Yep. And it's something that we do automatically. Yep. Um, and it, it is, uh, it's something that is invaluable and especially when you are working with multiple sites. So for, you know, if, if, for instance, for, uh, example, if I have a, a, a single blog and I want to update WordPress core, it's probably easy. I can do that myself, but once it gets to the level of 10 or 15 or, or 50 or a hundred sites, that becomes a job. And that's something that you'll need to solution for. So having the ability to to have all sites upgraded to the the most recent version of core is essential. And one of the things that we look for in the community is any vulnerabilities and we'll get advance notice of any type of threat that's WordPress specific. So there are times when we'll have an emergency security update that rolls out. And that's different than a, a, a core update will actually give uh, a seven days of warning. We'll say your site's going to be updated. Here's an email. This is this is what's going on. And then before the update, you'll you'll see a, an email as well, a notification that, that mm-hmm. tells you it's, it's going to happen. Um, but with a security uh, update, it's, it's potentially something that just happens. And uh, it, it may be during a uh, maintenance uh, period. Uh, there's a maintenance window that that's open for for types of things like that, uh, or it may just be something that that has to happen and, and and it's critical. So beyond that, there is the platform security, and I think that even just moving from our old provider to uh, to Google has improved our our support uh, um, because it's there there are less issues. It's just made it a lot easier to troubleshoot as as for the the hardware level things actually failing and bringing a site down uh, has been uh, quite quite a big improvement do you is, are there any things which you disallow on the platform on the on the basis of either speed or security are there any for example plugins which are notoriously um, I don't know we're just querying too many times and, and slow things down for everybody else um, and equally are there security uh, are, there, are there products which you disallow because they're known to be uh, vulnerable? Or indeed, do you disable plugins that have become vulnerable? 
So yes, so there are definitely a few plugins that will do things like uh, uh, create a ton of queries and, mm. and really slow down database performance. So the, there's a list of about, I, I'd say about 50 to 60 plugins mm. that, that we don't allow on the platform. And some of them, probably the majority are caching plugins. Okay. Because we have the Evercache layer, we don't really need to have additional caching. And, and oftentimes, another caching plugin will conflict with what we have. Um, so then there are definitely uh, known exploits plugins that are just insecure, that they have uh, uh, issues with security that wouldn't be allowed. But for the most part, it's a very very tiny percentage mm. of plugins compared to you know what's available yeah okay that's that's good to know i mean essentially you know i, I suppose that creates controversy some people think you know, you should allow everything and for, for my part that's that's exactly the right answer you know you want things to be well thought out by people like you who have got a good handle on this stuff and, and it just comforts me that somebody's thinking about it and di hobbling things that need to be hobbled barring things that need to be barred um, and making the whole platform better for everybody. That's great. Now, your pricing is, is quite interesting because you, you go from right at the very bottom. I'm thinking of, of our audience. There's maybe a few people who've talked about WP Engine a lot um, in the past. They want to move over to your platform. And the, 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 the test for them might be get one site, and that's $29. And then it, then it sort of jumps up, and you can get 10 sites for $99. That's it's a really interesting pricing model. What's the thinking behind that? And um, yeah, just, just talk around that point, I think. So quite honestly, I don't know what the the thinking of the the pricing model is, but it's it's meant to be that you're you're it's mainly on sites and it's on visitors mm. or sessions. So what you think of as a session in Google Analytics. So many of the the so if we're talking about the shared plans, for example, there's a limit of the the amount of uh, visitors that you can have during a month's period of time. And then the amount of sites. So a, a personal plan, you can have one and then potentially add a, a second site on. Um, and a, a pro plan is is 10 sites. And then a business plan is 25. So you, you get more as you go up. Uh, I don't know why it's, it's not quite so linear, but... Yeah. Uh, but yes, uh, so it's uh, so uh, oh, it'd be okay. interesting to, to, to see how things evolve. <laughs> yeah, I guess I, I wonder how many people have, are on four um, because you know they're on four, but they pay a hundred dollars because it's just economically more. You know, rather than pay a hundred and twenty dollars for four at twenty nine, you're paying uh, anyway. I don't know. It's just yeah, a, it's, it's totally thought. possible. Yeah. yeah. And, I see, you know, I see sites that that want to upgrade from that um, that that shared level to premium all the time, and they, they don't always have the amount of uh, sites that would bring them to the limit. Yeah. And sometimes they don't have the amount of traffic either. So yeah. Yeah. really, it's um, it, it's one thing to think about, but the performance and what the site actually needs, whether it's a, you know a, a simple site that is really less resource intensive or uh, potentially something like a, a WooCommerce site, which just needs more power to, to work. So we, we can actually move sites that are, you know, a single site up to a larger plan, um, even though they're, they're not close to that, um, that traffic or the, um, the site install limit. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, you know, your pricing is your pricing, it seems fair to me. And uh, so you're very, very successful, so it's obviously working. One last question, if that's all right. Um, I have in my head this notion that WP Engine will fix things when they become broken. Now, I'm imagining that there are huge caveats to that. And also, I could have completely made it up. Is that true? If there's a if the security breaks or you get hacked or, or whatever it might be, have I got that right? Do you do you mend things that become broken? Yeah, there is. So definitely, um, there is a, a hack guarantee. So essentially, if your site is on the platform and it gets hacked, we'll clean that up. So that that's something that can happen through support. They can run a process that will essentially just sanitize the site mm. and get rid of any malicious code or anything that's been added in. Uh, it does happen. Uh, it's it's not something that I see very often, but it is available. Well, that's great. I mean, that's just right there. Got to be worth. That's like insurance, isn't it? You just it's just a lovely little thing to be able to to say, like a little trope, because it, in the back of our minds, uh, no matter who you are, that's always the thing which is just lurking. You know, am I going to wake up today and everything's going to be as normal? And it's nice to know that somebody's got your back and you've already you've already factored that into the to the cost. That's great. Hey, thanks for coming on. Um, really appreciate that. Lots of interesting okay. insights about WP Engine. Just one thing before we uh, before we sort of knock it on the head. You've you've put together um, a little bit of an offer for the people listening to the podcast. Do you want to just quickly run down what that's about? Absolutely. So we have created a discount code for our shared plans. So that would be for anything in the the, the personal pro or uh, premium range. And so essentially, you'd get twenty percent off first payment yep there are uh there's a maximum of 50 of these codes that can be used and it expires on december 2nd groovy so i think the code i did have it in the chat window i think it was wp builds 20 correct uh, no spaces um and if you put that in before the 2nd of november 2017 and you're one of the first 50 people to redeem it then um you'll get yourself 20 percent off your first bill which is very very kind thank you so much for coming on and talking absolutely to us thanks about, for having me yeah it's a subject which i really don't know enough about and um and, and it's often mentioned in fact i would say that a good quarter or a fifth of discussions that we have in our uh, Facebook group are centered around what's the best host essentially and you guys you guys come up a lot so great to have somebody on and nice chatting to you at the end of this um we'll go over to the next section where I'll be chatting with David Wormsley so thanks Edmund and uh, speak to you soon okay thanks Nathan great to, to be on the show and today's ending fact or term is Ajax which Nathan, you know a lot about this, actually. Well, yes, we just it's talking. A, um, you can buy it in the supermarket. It's a cleaning product. <laughs> and um, you squirt it on a tabletop and it wipes it really, you know, it's very hygienic. And No, it's not. Although it is. You can buy Ajax. It's like a product to clean work surfaces. So Ajax is asynchronous JavaScript and XML. And to be honest with you, I, I'm kind of shielded from this sort of stuff because because I use WordPress and don't get into coding too much. Um but basically, this is the ability for a browser to reload and suck in extra content without having to refresh the page. Now, if you go back 10 years, 
every time you clicked anything, you would have to refresh the entire web page. So you'd, you know, you'd send a request, a new page would be delivered and it would be dynamically created with PHP or whatever. But there was no ability to suck in um, images. And mm. if memory serves, the first time that this was used, I think it was built into Internet Explorer, first of all. And I've forgotten what the request was called. There was a sort of term for it. But nobody was implementing it. It was put into Internet Explorer. It was not really very well documented. Nobody used it. And then um, this was in the days where Internet Explorer dominated. And then Google came out with their Google Maps. And I remember watching it on stage. I wasn't there. I was watching the video. And, and everybody thought it was absolutely terrific. You know, you could drag um, the map. And then more parts of the map would then load in in the blank spaces that you'd created by dragging it. And yeah. and absolutely everybody in the audience thought that it was done with Flash because they, they nobody realised that there was a way of doing this. And then immediately upon exiting the conference hall, everybody sort of viewed Source and they were like, oh, my word, no, there's no Flash. How? What is this, you know, <laughs> voodoo going on? And, it's, and it was Ajax. So it's the ability for um, the page to load content into a page without having to click the refresh button. Is that, have I summed it up there? I think you pretty much have, yeah. I mean, I think of it, I mean, I use it now a lot and need something like Facet WP to do filters and bring stuff in from the WordPress database. I'm not strictly sure whether that is using, whether that's Ajax because of the XML bit. I'm not sure if it's actually using, hey, there's another term in itself, isn't it? Should yes. we put a bonus one in? X. XML stands for extensible markup language. Yes, and it's kind let's of not like going to that. Yeah, well, it looks well, well. Yeah, let's not. But it's yeah. No, let's not. Let's just leave that. So yeah, there we go. Ajax, asynchronous JavaScript and XML. As always, if you've got more information or we were just utterly wrong, then, um, <laughs> yes. then just please let us know in the comments um, at the bottom of the um, of the player on wpbuilds.com, or you can of course go to the Facebook group and join in the conversation. That would be lovely. But um, this one's a wrap. Let's say goodbye. Yeah. I'll fade in the cheesy music. So it's goodbye from me, Nathan Wrigley. And goodbye from me, David Wormsey. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.